Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Great, so John 1, uh, John 3, 1 through 16, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your, mir- your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, good. Uh, This morning as we continue our reassembly required series, um, I want to start with a text that um, is from the Old Testament, but we're going to make sense of all of this. Our relationship with God is something that in the Old Testament is illustrated with this imagery of a potter and clay. And we see this in Jeremiah uh, where God is the potter and, and people are the clay being molded and shaped. In Jeremiah 18, 3 through 6, uh, I just want to start with this text and talk about kind of the deconstruction process that many of us can, can find ourselves in. And in Jeremiah 18, 3, it says, so I did, this is Jeremiah speaking, so I did as he told me and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Anybody ever worked with clay in a pottery wheel before? One of the hardest things I've ever tried to do. Ceramics class, 2004, Highline Community College. I somehow got a B. Ah, and a lot of Christmas presents for my parents. But I can relate to this text. But the jar was, that he was making did not turn out as he has hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. And this text out of Jeremiah gives us this illustration of being shaped by God. And we are... Uh, being constructed and, and built and formed into his image and into his uh, desire for us as men and women of God to flourish in his image. 
and we go through this deconstruction process where things aren't going as anticipated, and we might find ourselves being like that lump of clay, just like, let's ball this thing up, let's crush it, let's restart it, let's break it down, right? The deconstruction process is simply this, this word of, uh, that means we're breaking apart piece by piece our faith, our value systems, our beliefs, Right? We can deconstruct anything, but in this scenario that we're talking about today, we're talking about deconstructing our faith. And so this belief that we have in God and our belief in the scriptures, our belief in uh, the church and uh, heaven and hell and all of that, right? We can, we can deconstruct. We can take it apart piece by piece by piece and cliche by cliche and phrase by phrase and things like that. And we can sometimes have our lives shaped by our beliefs or we can become like that lump of clay and we can get frustrated and ball it up and restart it. And sometimes what I have found in, in my journey of faith and, and encountering myself and other people and, and what I can witness in my understanding of the deconstruction process is if we are the clay, we can sometimes become rigid clay in that process. And we become a lot like clay uh, that our kids play with, that, that, that container of Play-Doh that didn't get the lid put on. Parents know what you're talking about. Kids that grew up, you know what I'm talking about, right? We all had one of these at our house or in our collection of Play-Doh, and, and we just had that. That's, that's what we had, right? And, and it's that lump of, of Play-Doh that just doesn't form in the same way possible. It doesn't get to be the clay that we wanted it to be. And, and we become rigid, we become dried out, we become crusty, and thinking about that in our own faith journey, I think that some of us along the way can become like this lump of Play-Doh, right? Which, funny enough, resembles with this color and texture, resembles our heart. Uh, and that was just totally a God moment. I did not expect it to look like my heart. <laughs> but it kind of does. It takes that shape. But I think... In our own deconstruction journeys, we can develop a heart that's like this because we become rigid in our traditions and our understandings and our values and our cliches and our statements of faith that we hold to and we become rigid in that. Or we develop a resistance to what God wants to do and, and we become resistant to church and the Bible and God and faith and we become crusty in that. I don't need God. I don't need church. I don't need faith. I don't need to believe in this stuff. So in one way or the other, we could become like this lump of clay. We need to be constantly shaped and formed and molded in the image that God would have for us, and we can choose something different, and that is to be reshaped, to be adapted, to be formed in the hands of our potter. But how do we keep from becoming this pile of crusty clay? Today we're going to look at Nicodemus that Chloe read, and I'm just going to leave that for a visual because I think that, that that is what none of us want, to become crusty in our faith or crusty in our relationship towards God or towards the church. But that's what happens. And Nicodemus had become that crusty clay. Nicodemus is a religious leader in his time. He knows the scriptures. He knows the ways. He knows the laws. He knows the rules. He knows what God wants or what he thinks God wants. And then he encounters Jesus, and something is off. He becomes rigid in his religiosity. 
And then he encounters Jesus, and Jesus disrupts something in him. We see this in chapter 3, verse 2, when this religious leader named Nicodemus shows up and talks with Jesus in the dark. Verse 2, it says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. There's something off about Jesus, according to Nicodemus, because Here's the, here's the thing, and this is what happens in some of our journeys, is that we see something in Christ, we see something in faith, we see something in the Bible, we see something in church, and it's off. Something's not right. We believe one thing, but then there's this contradiction, right? We read one thing, and then we feel another thing, and there's this contradiction at war within us. Well, Nicodemus is looking at Jesus, and he's like, I'm seeing miracles, and I'm hearing good teachings, and I'm hearing great things happening, but at the same time, I'm hearing and seeing disparaging remarks about Jesus. They don't like Jesus in his culture. They, did, they didn't see him having the formal credentials of the priesthood and all of these other, uh, uh, other marks of, of reputation. And so there's this contradiction that Nicodemus sees. Is he of God or is he not of God? I'm wrestling with this. Something is off. I'm going to go to this guy and I'm going to ask him some questions. And Jesus' response just leads to more questions. I love that. Like, Jesus responds and Nicodemus is like, okay, but how? (laughs) How does that happen, right? We see it in verse 9 and verse 4. What do you mean, Nicodemus says? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Verse 9, how are these things possible? Questions lead to more questions, right? Nicodemus is a smart guy. He's an intellectual. He is the computer programmer that sits at the computer, input, gets an output. But in this scenario, error, 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 something's not working, right? It's not computing as he expected, and he's frustrated. This is like some of us when we deal with technology. How many of you, that's your look? Right? That's your face when you look at technology. Just like, ah! Well, Nicodemus is punching into the law. Okay, God is this. God wants this. Messiah is this. This is not what we expected. This is some poor dude teaching people, doing miracles, but he doesn't look the part. Something's off. There's an error message here. And then Jesus is asking all these questions and saying all these things, and he's saying about being born again, and Nicodemus is further just like, I need to Google this. How does an old man go back into his mother's womb and become born again? Like, this doesn't make sense. How many of you, when you have questions, you Google, right? I got a rash. Google it. (laughs) I got an itch. Google it. I got a question. Google it. Yikes. Nicodemus is analyzing things. He's asking people for help. He's Googling things. He's trying to figure it all out, and he's not getting the answers he wants, so he goes to Jesus. Jesus continues to further just expand on this, and it leads to more questions. We have this in our own faith. We have this feeling depicted in this picture in our own faith journeys. How many of us find contradictions in our faith, and we just want to pull our hair out because we can't figure it out? Do I believe in the Bible, or do I believe in science? And why are they at war? Was it seven days, literally? Was it a metaphorical seven days? Was it really a big bang and everything happened and this evolution and the carbon dating? And where are the dinosaurs in the Bible? Where are the dinosaurs? I see bones in the Smithsonian, but where are they in Genesis, right? And then we hit the flood and we watch this History Channel documentary and we wonder, like, is it real? Did it happen? And we have this contradiction of science in the Bible and we want to pull our hair out, try and figure it out. How many of us wrestle with traditions? 
We say that the gospel's for everyone and then only certain people can teach it from the front. We say the gospel's for everyone, but these people aren't welcome in our building. We're gonna talk more about being hurt by the church next week and how that can lead to a deconstruction process. How many of us at times feel like our traditions are outdated, archaic? They don't match the times and we live in and there is something off. It's like this computing code error pops up. Like, what do you mean we're gonna sing? We don't sing anywhere else in this world except for happy birthday and karaoke. What are we doing? It feels off. What about tough Bible verses? You ever encounter a tough Bible verse? Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? God is love, and then he rains down fire and sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. What? You ever have those contradictions of scripture that you're just like, I don't understand this. I can't compute this. We are a lot like Nicodemus in this way, where we hit these contradictions, and we can become, if we're not careful, we become rigid and dried out and crusty because then we're just like, fine, I don't need God. He's a contradiction. I don't need a Bible, I don't need this, or fine, I'm further entrenched in this. I'm gonna believe. And Nicodemus shows us something different. He shows us at a crossroads of faith, ask questions. Something's off, ask questions. And some of us haven't been given permission in the past to ask questions. Ask questions. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, okay, something's off about you. Tell me about it. Okay, you need to be born again. What does that mean? Right? And he just keeps asking questions. And so bring those things to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what about blank? I don't understand this. How is it possible that this could happen? Right? It's okay to ask Jesus those questions. It's okay to ask people those questions. Right? But then I would challenge you, and this is where we get a little more practical, go beyond just the information question you want answered. Ask the question behind the question. Why do I feel something is wrong? What is that tension that I'm feeling inside? That A plus B is not equaling C. Why does that disrupt something in you? What is the motivation for even wanting to gain that information? Only you can answer that question. Do I want that information? Do I want the answer to that question? This is the question behind the question. This is good stuff for us to think about, right? Do I want that just so I can further prove myself right to my coworkers? Do I want it so that I can further entrench myself in my standpoint and my view and I become ready to debate next time I'm in the school cafeteria? Oh, that's a good one-liner. I'm gonna hit them with that one next time. Let me prove to them that the Big Bang is wrong. Boom, right? And we kind of get this aggressive like we're training for a match. Ask yourself that question. Why do you want the information that you're struggling with? Is it developed, is it to somehow prove somebody else right or wrong? Is it really about growing closer to Jesus? Is the answer to that question going to help you flourish in your relationship with Jesus? Again, only you and Jesus can answer that question. But something's off. Begin by asking questions. And then de his, Nicodemus' deconstruction process really begins, and, and what we see here is, is this uh, this next step in the journey of just asking questions is not where we stop. We then go and we analyze and we adapt to the gospel. He confronts Jesus. He analyzes what Jesus is talking about, and he is going to adapt to it. Jesus challenges him to adapt to the gospel message. 
and verses five through eight, Jesus is talking to him and beginning to teach him. And he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit can produce birth to the spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So Jesus, interestingly enough, and we see deconstruction as kind of this bad, off-limits, dark thing that we don't want to talk about. Well, Jesus is giving Nicodemus permission to deconstruct here. Hey, you've got this idea of how to get into the kingdom of heaven. Let me pull that back for a moment. Let me mold the clay of your life just a moment here. Nicodemus thinks that the kingdom of heaven is all about following rules, and I'm going to get into the kingdom of God if I follow all the rules, check all the boxes. Am I clean enough, perfect enough, good enough? pure enough. And Jesus wants to mess that all up. He wants to pull back. He wants to reshape his clay, if you will, so to speak. And so Nicodemus is deconstructing right here in this evening. And, and, and there are scholars in this moment that would say this is where his faith really gets challenged. And Jesus is challenging him, hey, don't be surprised when I say this. Hey, don't don't be shocked when I rattle your cage a little bit. Don't be shocked when what I say contradicts what you thought you knew. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would repeatedly say a phrase, and if you're familiar with that text, you're going to know it, right? You've heard it said, ba-ba-ba, but I say, da-da-da, right? Repeatedly throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say, you've heard it this way, you've heard it said, da-da-da-da-da, right? Don't murder somebody, but I say, don't hurt them in your anger. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, don't even look with lust in your heart at another person. Oh, you've heard it said, this is how we pray. This is what holiness looks like. This is how being with God, giving and prayer and fasting. But I say, and what is Jesus doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount? He's deconstructing. You've built this facade, you've built these walls, you've built these load-bearing walls. Let's tear those things down. You've built your clay to be a certain way. Oh, let's reshape that clay. Because if we don't reshape it, you're going to become this crusty old ball of clay. And you're like, oh, great, you didn't murder somebody. Awesome. You destroyed them with your words. He's deconstructing their old way of thinking and trying to build up something new, trying to form and shape something new. And so we find ourselves in those moments of contradiction. We analyze the gospel to find, well, what does Jesus really say about that? And we're built up around these traditions and these cliches and these statements of faith and these ideas. Oh, we think genes are demonic. We think tattoos and piercings are unholy desecrations of the temple. And Jesus can show us Appearance doesn't matter as much as the state of somebody's heart. Oh, I thought science and, and, and the Bible were at war with each other, and Jesus could show us something different. He could show us, when you look at creation, you're going to see the fingerprint of God. And you should be in awe of God's presence in creation. You've heard it said, women can't teach. And Jesus is going to show you something different. He's going to, I'm going to show you that women matter. And women are empowered to teach the gospel to both men and women. But I've heard it said that a divorced person or a single person is lesser than in church because they're broken, unlovable, single people. Jesus is going to step over here. But I say, everyone is made in the image of God and everyone is loved by God. 
Let me reshape your thinking. But they're divorced. Oh, eh? Let's reshape that. Let's move this, let's tweak this, let's adjust this, let's shape this. And we bring our questions to Jesus and we look to Jesus first and foremost because we prioritize being shaped by Jesus more than our culture, more than Dr. Phil or Oprah or a blog or some podcast you found on NPR. Not that those things are evil and wrong, but what I'm saying is I prioritize being shaped by the hands of my maker than anyone else. And what I would challenge you to do as you analyze the gospel is to bring those contradictions to Jesus. Ask him about that. List those things out and begin to look at what Jesus says about it. You got contradictions? Write them out. You got questions? Write them out. Look at what Jesus says about it. Maybe he will say something. Maybe he's silent on something. And maybe we've made mountains out of things that Jesus was pretty quiet about. And maybe we've minimized things that he was really loud about. List out not only the contradictions that you have, but another challenge that I would have for you, very practical, is list out the truths of where you've seen Jesus in the scriptures. What is true about Jesus? And how have you seen that move in your life? It's not just a a fable or a folklore that you've read. How has it been real in your day, in your life? Then you see that what we are talking about is not just a story passed down. It is something that is real. And just to be very clear on this, it is not an act of spiritual rebellion to ask questions. It is not an act of spiritual rebellion to say, analyze the Gospels. When I read the Scriptures, I'm looking at them through a lens of, God, I want to better understand what you're saying here. And I don't skip over the contradictions. I sit in the things that don't make sense. I'm also not saying that we should change the gospel. If that's what you're hearing, let me say it again. We are not changing the gospel. We are being changed by the gospel. So to analyze the scripture and then to adapt to it. That's the goal, and what we see with Nicodemus is he's going through this. He's looking at Jesus. He's analyzing what Jesus is saying, and he's going to be adapting and shaped by it. And you feel that tension of faith and facts, and when that happens, it's okay to stop and say, I might have been wrong about something. Can we admit when we're wrong, church? Jesus looks at Nicodemus and and admits to him. He tells him, hey, Nick, Nick. Can you just call him Nick? Hey, Nick, you got it wrong. Verse 10 through 12. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. Or there's a question mark. You don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what you know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you won't believe me when I tell you about these earthly things, how would you possibly believe it when I tell you about heavenly things? Jesus is telling him, like, hey, man, you got it wrong. Can we as people, as Christ followers, admit that there are times where we, we get it wrong? We mess up. We misinterpret. We emphasize the wrong things and put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Nicodemus is wrong in his understanding of spiritual things. He believes the kingdom of God is all about following rules so that Jesus will, or God will love you and you will get into heaven that way. And we get it wrong. We misunderstand. We make mistakes. 
or we say the right thing in the wrong way. Again, tune in next week for how people hurt people and that hurts their faith. But as we think about this idea of being wrong, and, and this can be a huge hurdle for people in the church to admit, I may have this, wrong, this thing wrong here. But in this idea of something that you, you are wrestling with, this contradiction that you are struggling with, have you looked at all of the angles on it? All the perspectives, all sides of the arguments? Have you kept an open mind and thought, maybe that there is something about an infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God that you still have to learn? There's a hint of sarcasm to that. That maybe there's something you and I need to learn about an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, infinite God. We haven't contained him yet. And he cannot be contained to a Facebook cliche that we forward. Or some little mantra that we repeat to ourselves. But sometimes our mantras are wrong. God helps those who help themselves. This sounds nice. I don't see Jesus in that. Did Jesus help himself? Yeah, and by the way, and I just heard it from the booth, it's not in the Bible. Can we admit we're wrong when we repeat these things that sound really good, but they ain't God? Well, we humble ourselves to say, maybe I've learned a new dimension about prayer or a new dimension about worship or a new dimension about outreach and discipleship and about the character of God, that I am not stuck in this crusty, immovable faith, admitting that I am wrong admitting that there are mysteries that I may not figure out. See, it's not just that I admit that I'm wrong. I have to sometimes admit that there are things that I'm just never going to know. So there's two facets to that, and it's going to keep me from becoming a crusty blob of clay. Admitting, hey, I used to think this, and I've learned something different. But also, hey, I used to think I knew the answer to this, but the more I've realized, I may not know on this side of eternity whether it was this or that. I may never truly understand the answer to that question, but I don't want to become a crusty blob of clay, so I will admit I don't know. Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 8, the winds blow wherever it wants, just as you hear the wind, but can't tell where it is or where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you don't get it either. You aren't going to always understand it. Even in this whole conversation, think about how many times Jesus had to tell Nicodemus, will you believe? Rather than, will you just rationalize and intellectually figure this out? He leans in, go read through it again. How many times does Jesus, and some of you are going to do this right now while I'm talking, how many times he says, believe, trust, take a step of faith in realizing that there are going to be questions, contradictions that you won't have answers to, but will you continue to believe and not let that be the thing that says, I'm done, I'm, stop. I'm, I'm stopping my shaping process. And if there is ever a contradiction, if there was ever a question, if there was ever a stumbling block that would keep you from being shaped by the hands of your creator, my question would be, why does not having that answer disrupt you to that point? What are you really looking for? 
if I have to know, was it a literal seven days or is this a poetic expression of the creation story? That's a whole other sermon. But if I have to, and I'm not moving until I know that, I'd ask you why. How does that keep you flourishing in your relationship with Jesus? And are we more set on building our faith around answers that I can comprehend rather than building my life and my faith around a Jesus that is maybe bigger than my box will ever contain? Some of us have built our faith on strategies and cliches and statements and conclusive answers and things that we can intellectually wrap our brains around to a point where we don't need to believe anymore because we can rationalize it. We will still become crusty because there's no room for faith. Nicodemus had no room for faith if he could figure it out. The last A, as some of you have been tracking, they all start with A. The last A is to aim for Jesus in all of this that you keep stepping towards Christ in this process. We reassemble around Jesus. The danger in the deconstruction process is that we leave our life in shambles or we leave our life in pieces. And we, in this series, are encouraging all of us to keep building around Christ. Don't break it down to a point where it's just in, in pieces. Keep building, keep shaping. Nicodemus is confused. He goes to Jesus for answers. The response continues to stir some more questions, but ultimately Nicodemus is set on following Christ. And Jesus gives him this illustrative moment when he talks about this, and and he kind of ends the end of the, the conversation that we're looking at here with this encouragement to keep your eyes on Jesus in the whole process. And in verse 14 and 15, he says, Moses was lifted up, or Moses was not lifted up. Moses lifted up this bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And that imagery in verse 14 comes from the Old Testament. When they are traveling in the desert, Moses literally had to lift this bronze snake up on this on this stick, and anybody that was snake-bitten would look upon this snake, and they would be healed. In the Old Testament, right? It's a pretty cool story, pretty cool moment. Jesus is using that image that is clearly imprinted on Nicodemus's memory banks, because what does he know backwards and forwards? The Old Testament. And he says, just like they had to look at that and be healed, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, and all eyes are going to be set on him. You are going to aim for Christ, And you will be healed, you will be restored, you will be renewed, you'll be given new life. Jesus is lifted up on that cross, we set our eyes on him. And so what Jesus is trying to do at the end of this conversation, I think, is is really helpful to all of us. What are you aiming towards in all of this process? You've got contradictions, you've got questions, that's great. What are you aiming towards? What are you rebuilding around? What are you trying to emulate? What are you trying to be like? Are we just answering questions just to answer them? Are we aiming towards Jesus? Are we putting our eyes on Christ? Because wherever our eyes are, wherever our focus is, whatever we're aiming towards, well, that's where we're headed. Are you aimed towards intellect that you can then debate anyone? You're going to get there. Are you aimed towards giving up on God? You're just looking for a reason to give up on God. So if he can't answer this question, I'm out. Well, you will get there if you want to 
find the right answer that will get you to quit on God, I bet you'll find it. Because you'll keep looking for a question that you can't answer and he can't answer. It's, it's like in Little League right now. I'm coaching Little League, a bunch of first and second graders, and, and oh, man, it's fun. Uh, but one thing we're teaching them, we just started practice, we're teaching them how to throw a ball, right? And for illustrative purposes, I'm going to shape this into a ball. And, and what we have to do is teach a little kid to throw a really hard ball at another little kid. This is a fun concept. So what we have to teach them is what you aim at is where that ball's going, right? So we teach them, like, point your glove, like, literally, hold your glove out, point your foot, put the arm, put your eyes on it, and throw, right, all the way through. And then we teach the kid, I literally, like, grab them by the glove and move their glove to point, okay, where's your eyes? On there, okay, go, whoosh, and this hard ball flings out of this little kid's hands and goes right at the target. Then I step away, and what happens? <laughs> right? Leg goes this way, arm goes that way, eyes go up or down or closed, ball, who knows? <laughs> but if everything's moving towards that target, that ball's getting there. What are you aiming for? What are you reassembling around? Look at the trajectory of Nicodemus's story. And I, I, I like this observation of uh, 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 just encapsulating this whole conversation. Nicodemus shows up because he has a question. What he sees on the surface about Jesus doesn't match what's computing internally. Then the conversation ends. And it ends by hearing more about the mission of why Jesus even came to earth. Because it ends with this passage that you and I know inside and out. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that everyone who believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. It ends with the mission of why Jesus shows up on earth. The trajectory of this whole conversation started with this question of contradiction and wrestled through more questions and wrestled through some teaching that I don't know if Nicodemus fully grasped, but it ends with Jesus sharing his heart of like, this is why I'm here. He's an example that we can journey with Jesus and we're going to get more than just our answers. We're going to get Jesus we got to stop thinking about faith as a destination. See, Nicodemus came with a destination in mind. Answer my question. Some of us come to God with that same thing. Answer my question. It's a destination. If I get all my questions answered, X marks the spot, I'm there, boom, I believe, I'm a Christian. But, but it, faith is a journey, not a destination. And when we make it all about undeniable proofs and answers, then we make that the destination. Jesus takes Nicodemus, and I believe he takes all of us on this journey into relationship with him where we continue to grow, and we may still have questions unresolved, but we're journeying with Jesus because we're setting our aim on Christ. Nicodemus understands more of the heart of God, even though he doesn't necessarily get all the answers to his questions. How many of you want to know more of the heart of God? I'll give you an example to close this time of wrestling with some questions. I had a conversation with a friend of mine last summer, and we were, uh, it just came out of nowhere. And it was this question, and, and it was a great question I had never really thought about. And the question was simply, why do we pray out loud? Why do we pray out loud? Jesus tells us to pray in private. Why do we pray out loud? 
Why do we have people come up here and they're like, let's pray, and then you know they pray out loud in front of us all, or we get in groups and we pray out loud. Jesus said, pray quietly in your room. And there was this, this question that came from this moment of contradiction of A plus B is not equaling C here. I don't see the connection here. And it led to this great conversation about prayers and, and thinking about instances where, okay, well, Jesus did talk about that with prayer, but he also prayed out loud at various moments when he, you know, and I'm not gonna go into a whole sermon on prayer right now, okay? 20 minutes later. Uh, we thought about the early church and that they would pray for people. There are moments where people would pray corporately or collectively. They're commissioning others out in prayer. They're laying on hands in prayer. They're teaching people how to pray. And more than a concise, tidy little answer that I can give you, because you'll notice in this moment, I'm not going to give you a tidy little answer to that question. You know what it did? It engaged us in, in a friendship uh, in, in a conversation about something more than just the Seahawks and the Mariners and, and you know, our children. We talked about the things of Jesus. We didn't necessarily get all the answers that we wanted from that question. But you know where it ended up leaving me is, I don't know exactly why, and I don't have all the answers, and I can't make it nice and tidy to you, but I'll tell you what, I want to pray like Jesus would pray. I want to pray like Jesus would pray. And see, that's where a conversation with questions and contradictions can lead us to this journey. We analyze the scriptures. We ask those questions. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe, you know, if our prayers are platforming and all about performance, then yeah, that's probably wrong. But it led us down this journey, and ultimately the resolution that I landed on was, man, I just want to be somebody that genuinely prays like Jesus would pray and has conversation with his heavenly Father. And some of you are going to be left like, and, and there is no and. There is no tidy little bow on this. It's going to be like the end of Inception. We're going to spin that dial and walk off, right? Are we dreaming? Are we not? All right? Where's the tidy little answer? And this is where we don't like this. This is the tension that we can continue to live in. But my aim is not on an answer. My aim is on Jesus. And so I, my heart today is for us to be people who don't end up like this crusty ball of clay. We don't want to be people who are crusty in their faith or become de-churched, dried out, crusty, no longer moldable. And so on a very practical level, are we asking questions? Are we analyzing scripture? Are we adapting to it? Admitting when we're wrong, but ultimately we are aiming at Jesus. This keeps us being shaped in the hands of our God. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.